The very first race is in the bag, Moot. Done and dusted, right? Yeah, and it was a hell of <laughs> a first and, race. And, and sandstorm dusted. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to talk about. We have extensive notes here, so why don't we just get into it? So, Moot, very high expectations from, you know, everyone heading into this weekend. Even through all the practice sessions, no one was willing to stick their neck out and make any predictions. It was truly all about qualifying to really kickstart the season. True. Everyone was waiting to see if Red Bull was actually <laughs> as racy as they seemed in all the practice and testing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, everyone was very tight-lipped. Um, nobody knew how fast McLaren was, what Ferrari was doing, if Aston Martin was the real deal. I, I still think we don't know about a lot of those questions honestly, after this first race. But, um, you know, everyone did somewhat take their masks off, and we got a taste <laughs> of, a, of a little bit of everything. So uh, let's get into practice. There's always some good banter in practice. You know, here on Purple Sector, we're known for kind of finding the great bits in all the practice sessions. Did you watch any practice? Not much. I saw a little bit. So I saw the tail end, actually, of the final practice session on, uh, on an airplane. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. By the way, helmet calling in, obviously, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Um, this is the first time in a while, by the way, that I've been running the board and, and the uh, recording. Yeah, it's uh, p- people are going to enjoy it because you, uh, <laughs> you've dug up a ton of, ton of uh, audio from the race weekend. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love all the banter. So um, are you enjoying the shortened practice sessions? I have to say I am. 60 minutes is perfect. Yeah, I think it's good to force everyone to get out on track give more action to the people actually in the stands for practice and reduce data which leads tends to lead to better racing yeah it was awesome i think that's the way forward and i'm glad they made that decision so in fp1 uh right away funny stuff happening there was zero win on in that first session right so stroll stroll goes out on track for the first time and he gets right on the radio and he goes can you give me the wind direction and his uh his race engineer goes there is no wind. <laughs> yeah, that seems like an impossibility because every other time I was watching, there was a lot of wind talk. Yeah, um, but it was extremely calm that first session. Uh, secondly, uh, Jensen Punt was in the booth with Karun. I always have a lot of fun with Jensen when he's up in the booth. Um, so he has a keen eye for things, and uh, we got a kick out of this because he spotted a couple of things, and then Karun oddly made things kinky here you go i tell you what it could be a right uh, rake test because the car looks lower at the rear now god your eyes are good i know what can i say <laughs> god your eyes are good karun and jensen are quite a, a pairing <laughs> just some, some great analysis and goofy back and forth with the two of them 
Yeah. Um, also, it seems there's blowback from all the Drive to Survive narratives, you know. Um, Karun mistakenly referred to Botas's, uh Mercedes as the second Mercedes. And uh, right away, things got a little touch and go because, you know, I guess after that ep- that episode of Drive to Survive this past season where Botas says he's... What, what were Botas's exact words? I'm, I'm not at number two or... Yeah, I think... And then, you know, we talked about it in the review where Toto then, you know, they say, is Valtteri a second driver? And he said, F you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, right. Toto going, F you, F you. So this is what Karun said. Botas. Very good middle sector now. So this is uh, the second, I don't like to say second Mercedes, the other Mercedes coming in Be to, the, to the final corner. That's hilarious. So you even have Natalie Pinkham saying, be careful, be careful. Don't don't call him the second Mercedes. Yeah, that was the other the other thing that we noticed in the practice sessions. I assume Sky Sports, because that's what we get in the States through ESPN, is the Sky Sports feeds. Right. Um, it seems like they're trying to give more work, spread the work around to the other people they have coming up. You know, they get, you got to give some, some mic time to all the different characters. So there's been kind of a promotion of Pinkham from the, the bit, you know, she used to just do the canned bits and some little interviews and stuff, but now she's up there doing some of the practice sessions, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's permanent or if it was just this weekend, if they wanted to try her out, but uh, I thought she did a good job. She lets it breathe up there in the booth you know, Crofty's kind of a windbag. He he sucks all the air out of the room. He does a lot of talking. But Natalie, she kind of <laughs> Natalie left it to Karun and, and Jensen Button, which I enjoyed. Yeah, Crofty, uh, Crofty can fill a room. Oh He'll yeah, suck the oxygen out and fill it with everything else. Yeah, yeah, Crofty, <laughs> that guy can talk. Uh, so lastly, in FB1, uh, as time was expiring, there was a lot of speculation about the you know the drivers' market at the end of the season. And kind of how Lewis will be the catalyst. So um, here's Jensen Button throwing his hat into the ring. The day Lewis chooses to stop in F1, you know, we're going to see a sea of change, aren't we? It's just going to be such a knock-on effect on on what happens. Yeah. Toto's going to have a lot of people knocking on his door. I might even have a go. Yeah, go on. (laughs) Why not? I'm kind of hoping he's serious because I love Jensen. Um, Well, that that was the bit last time around when he was positive and out for the Bahrain, the Sakir Grand Prix, right? right. Yeah. Like that was, <laughs> that was the same bit everyone was doing and all the memes of, you know, oh, you're saying, person when, saying what you're saying when Hamilton had COVID. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was saying when Hamilton had it. And now obviously if Hamilton leaves Mercedes, everyone's going to do the same bit of get me in that second Mercedes car. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. The, other Mercedes, not second Mercedes. Yeah. We don't have second Mercedes cars, right? You watch what you say. <laughs> uh, another thing that is new, that's awesome in my opinion, is they've added like a um, a gradual gauge for the sectors when you're watching practice and qualies. So you can see it sweeping across the sector so you can tell you know, how close the driver is to finishing a sector. Yeah, a lot of sector and purple sector talks, so some good drops I know you were able to pull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we weren't the only ones excited this weekend. Here's Crofty in free practice, too. I am buzzing. I am buzzing. I feel like that sound clip's going to get a lot of run on the show now. It's a good, quick, quick little hitter, yeah. Yeah, so big fan of this new uh, graphics. Um, FP3, again, I alluded to this in the beginning of the podcast, but, uh, you know, even Karoon and Jensen Button and Crofty, they were all joking that no one is willing to make predictions. And the, the saying you've been hearing the most over the weekend was, we'll see come qualifying. We'll see come qualifying. 
Like, no one knows because pra- uh, because uh, testing was so short, you know? This is truly mm-hmm. the first kind of F1 season like this that we've had where it's extremely limited running. The practice sessions are shortened. The testing was limited. Um, I still feel like we don't know where everyone is on the grid. That's why we have 23 races to figure it all out, baby. <laughs> yeah, so let's jump to qualies. Uh, initial impressions, Moo. What, what stuck out the most for you? Uh, Alonzo, direct direct out of the box, getting into the third, <laughs> into the top 10 shootout. Yeah, I mean, he's just a gamer. He knows how to get it done. Um, the thing that stuck out the most and to me... obviously, Checo missing out. Yes, Checo missing out is big. That, that goes to, back to what I was going to say um, regarding... The, the thing that stuck out to me the most in quali is all the teams that try to get their new drivers into Q3 on mediums, that was a mistake. You know, those guys... Your Yuki Sonodas, your Checo Perez's, those guys, they don't have the confidence yet. So I, I don't I think it was a Get mistake. In, yeah. I think that was a mistake by the teams to do that. They really, you know, they need a little bit of time. Yeah, this isn't, you know, I could see it later in the season. You need points, you have to manufacture, you know, podiums or something. But the first race out of the box, the first qualifying for these guys in your car and uh <laughs> trying to push them to this perfect strategy when it's going to be a multi-stop race anyway. doesn't really make sense. And then you miss out, you know? Yeah, plus just, you know, if I'm a team principal or, you know, the race engineer of, of the driver, I'm trying to build confidence. So put, put them on softs and, you know, stroke their ego. Let them put up a quicker lap. Yeah. Getting into the top 10 is more important. It doesn't matter. You have your tire choice anyway when you miss out, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and if, if we've ever seen more than ever – after this weekend, track position is still king, you know? Yeah, it's very important. Yeah, so um, I still thought Yuki was impressive, despite not making it into Q3. I mean, that kid's super young. He's in an Alpha Tauri, or t- sorry, Alpha Tori. Yeah, we're back to Joe Tori. Yeah, Alpha Tori. And, you know, he almost gets it into Q3 on mediums. Um, you know, he did a little... <laughs> he's, he's, that kid's impressive. I can't say enough about Yuki. Agreed. I mean, he, he had a good weekend, especially on Sunday. Speaking of Alpha Tori, uh, a lot of talk. You know, we were messaging back and forth about it in the Purple Sector WhatsApp chat about how good the white wheels look on the Alpha Tori. I mean, that car is slick looking. That might be my number two livery now that I've seen it in action. Yeah, everybody's kooky for Yuki, and the white wheels were had everybody in the media and the paddock abuzz, right? Yeah, I mean, you even had Brundle being extremely comp- complimentary about it. Here you go. I've never had a car with white wheels, but I want one now. Yeah, yeah so he says he wants a car with white wheels now. I agree. It looks very sexy. Um, so after Q2, when Checo doesn't get into Q3, right away the talk begins. You know, it, basically people start alluding to the notion that that seat is cursed. You know, that second seat of Red Bull. Seems that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what Bruno was saying. He said this. Ricardo put a, uh, an Aborigine, you know, hex on it. Yeah, it seems that way. So this is what Bruno had to say about it. What is it about second drivers at Red Bull? It doesn't work out for them. Yeah, what is it about second drivers at Red Bull? Who really knows? And, you know, those vibes picked up even more in pre-race when uh, Checo was having issues with his car. I mean... I was sitting on the couch watching the race, and I was like, oh, my God, like that that seat is truly cursed. Yeah, 
it's I think it's also an overall thing sort of with Red Bull. It's feast or famine. Like we talked about it with last season's results. Like look how many races Max missed. The even races he finished in and performed well, he had the same kind of issues that he had uh, in this race, you know, like anti-stall or crazy throttle problems or differential issues, you know, like it's not like Max has been without these problems the way that Perez had them before this race, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It seems that all the stars have to align for the Red Bull to truly maximize their potential. Um, I think that's, you make a very good point when I think about Mercedes, you know, people always bitch that Hamilton's extremely lucky and stuff, but I think that speaks more to the fact that Mercedes has such a solid package that yeah it sounds Check funny that package yeah it sounds funny but you know mercedes has such a solid package that you know they're always able to maximize their position most of the time because their foundation is so solid whereas even in this race when things are yeah their floor is much higher yes you know what i mean like their their floor is what eighth place maybe in a race <laughs> like they rarely are, are dnfing yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen Hamilton finish a race on fucking three wheels and still get the win. I mean, that just doesn't happen to other teams. True. Um, you know, and like you were saying, Max, even when everything seems to be going pretty good for them, Max is having issues with, like, the throttle mapping and stuff. It just, it's, you really got to work for your wins at Red Bull. You really got to work for them. Yeah, that's always been the case. I mean, Mercedes, by the way, the... Yeah, the team obviously <laughs> picking up where they left off last year when they were in the uh, the sector for <laughs> worst pit crew, right? Yeah. So even even when they have issues, they're still right where right at the top, right? Yep, yep, yep. So we had some awkward. Ryan, Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say it, and also <laughs> the numerology never stops, right? This race was Pirelli's 400th race in Formula One, so there's some numbers for you. Also, the 20-year anniversary since <laughs> Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen made their F1 debuts. Yeah. Yes, you're right. There's Numerology is always on the menu in Formula One. And Hamilton now broke Michael Schumacher's total laps led record. So more records falling, more numerology. That's every race, there's something new. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy who was in charge of keeping track of that laps led statistic because it's it's what in the sixty thousands uh, range or something. No, definitely not. A, hopefully, he's not using an abacus. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had some awkward birthday celebrations with uh, David Coulthard after qualies. Um, you had Max stuffing a cake into his face after the interviews, but then you also had Valtteri starting his interview with an awkward. Happy birthday. And then he said, should I sing to you? And David Coulthard basically said, uh, no. Mm. <laughs> is Coulthard kind of a, a birthday curmudgeon? No, no. I think it's just Valtteri is extremely awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he, was, he just wanted to serenade him right there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't pull the audio, but it's, it's very funny. It's, it's just peak awkward Valtteri Botas, as you would expect. Of course. So, impressively, Max puts it on pole, and, you know, the paddock is a buzz because they think that Red Bull has a massive advantage over Mercedes heading into the race week, into the race itself. You know, it's it was almost half a second. Yeah, it's almost four-tenths, which is, that's a massive gap. Uh, 
to, for Mercedes to have. It's just, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, it turns out that the, it, the real gap is probably not that wide, but here's some of the uh, audio I pulled. Where is it? All right, you had Brundle yelling about the three purple sectors for Max. Three purple sectors. You also had Max's race engineer saying it as well on the radio. Very A lot of chest pumping at this point. Yep, three purple sectors. Three purple sectors. So, um, I mean, what were your initial impressions when you saw the quality results? And, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. I didn't think it was possible for Mercedes to be that far behind an opponent. Yeah, I, the stuff we talked about before, I just didn't understand how Max, you know, smashes the Mercs for pole by four tenths. And then you have Checo can't even get into Q3 because of, you know, them pushing the envelope with the mediums, I guess. And obviously Alonzo, the fact that he makes it way up the order, like he didn't just get in, you know, squeak in and then <laughs> he's 10th, like, like some of the guys would always do. I mean, he was in sixth, right? And you obviously had Gasly way up too. I mean, it was, it, it, hopefully it's a preview of what should be an exciting midfield battle both in qualifying and in on races oh yeah i think i think we're in for one of the better seasons in decades in terms of overall parity across the grid i think that none of these you know teams that are in the midfield right your ferraris your alpha tories your um mclarens I don't think any of them have a clear edge over any of the other teams. I think it's just, it's going to be on a track-by-track basis. You know, McLaren might excel with their diffuser design, or Ferrari might excel with uh, the fact that they have Leclerc. You know, he, he provides an edge for the car because he's an amazing driver. Um, you know, it, who knows what's going to happen with Aston Martin, but they haven't looked that impressive so far. Um, you know, a lot to consider. All I know, all I know is fantasy is going to be harder than ever this season. Fantasy. Oh yeah, it's going to be very difficult. The other, <laughs> the other theme for the weekend was Aston Martin and Otmar are just beating the drum of these new regulations screwed. You know the the low, low rake teams. With <laughs> uh, all we did was see Mercedes continue on, and you guys were biting off that philosophy. So I don't I don't see Toto claiming that. You know he claimed that they maybe lost some time with the new regs, but they're still up at the top. Yes, agreed. Very interesting tactics from uh, Otmar thus far, complaining about, basically complaining about everything. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good look. I don't think he's going to win over a lot of fans with that approach if he if he continues this for too long. Yeah, even the, the Sky guys were joking about it during the race, right, when they're asking other questions and he's finding ways to just weave in. Yeah, well, we, we've been... We're getting crushed by these new regulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was only a season ago where we had Lawrence Stroll, you know, looking down at the other teams saying, they're just simply not doing a good enough of a job. Now, fast forward to this season, Aston Martin kind of looks like they're underperforming and they're bitching about the rules. I mean, it's, it's, got, it's very easy to dislike them, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. Last year was kind of like, a year off for, for Vettel, right? We didn't hear or see much from him on and off track. Yeah. Uh, well, off track, we saw more. But what a difference <laughs> a year makes, right? Like, he's back to exactly what was happening at Ferrari. Any contact or any pressure, kind of, he'll lock up, he'll spin, he'll crash in other guys, and then try to blame them. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. That was eye-opening. I'm right there with you. There's a lot of question marks about Vettel at this point. So you were talking about Alonso. He actually qualified ninth. Um, so here was your quality order in Q3. For stopping on pole, obviously, Hamilton almost four-tenths behind him, then Botas, then Leclerc. So I'm still bullish on Ferrari. Um, you know, we're going to have to see really where they are in race trim, but at least, you know, Leclerc putting in on P4, that's that's very encouraging in my opinion. Definitely. And I then, think Sainz will get comfortable soon. He seems, I think, a little... He's kind of finding his way, maybe being a little cautious in the, the Ferrari at the moment, but agreed. put it together. Agree. He said as much after the race. He said, you know, I, I was probably too conservative today, which is fine. I mean, it's fine. You know, it's a 23-race year. He's going to figure it out, and I think he's going to do great things. Pierre Gasly, P5. Let's talk about that, Moot. Gasly is on fire, at least, you know, on pure pace, he's on fire. Yeah, it's been ever since he got booted down from Red Bull, he's basically <laughs> been better. He's been like the B car for for Red Bull. He's outperformed whomever has been in that second seat. Yeah, it's almost like Red Bull has three cars now, and they're stable up at that team. Yuki. Now it's time for, for Yuki to jump up and outperform Checo as well. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. I mean, Yuki's been very, very impressive so far. Ricardo, sixth place, Lando. Kuki for Yuki. Yeah, Kuki for Yuki on this podcast. I think, you know, the most of the internet is Kuki for Yuki at this point. So you got Ricardo, six, Lando, seven. McLaren looks impressive. Um, even better in race trim, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I think, I believe you had them finishing third in the constructors in your season preview. Whom? You. What team? Well, McLaren. Yeah. I, I think you're on the right track there. We'll see how they develop throughout the course of the season, but they look really good so it's far. Be tight. Yeah, I guess it's a question of if they're if they're prioritizing qualifying in their in their car setup. Because I have a and who a, might do who might do any sort of development during the year, or if everyone's going to pack it in. Because I saw Red Bull already claiming they're trying to roll something out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but I have a hunch that McLaren could get further up the grid and qualifying it's just right now they're probably setting themselves setting themselves up for race day um so let's get into the race i got a lot of notes here um pre-race so i they were playing a lot of interviews and we got a lot of great interviews before the the red lights um lewis seems more excited than ever in his interviews i've noticed that his tone has picked up a lot of energy um, and it's it's got to be because, you know, there might be an actual title fight with another constructor for once. Um, and then Jensen Button said the same thing before the race. He said, I've never, he said, it's been like 10 years since I've heard Lewis this excited in interviews. Did you pick up on that as well? Oh, yeah. He definitely seems chipper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he seems hungry and excited to actually battle, you know, Max and not just deal with stiff arming Vultry every Sunday. So right away, Perez loses power. What were you thinking at that point? I mean, at, when I saw that happen, I was like, man, it just, it, when it rains, it pours for the second seat of Red Bull. Yeah, it was weird. They showed that onboard, and he's just cruising on a formation lap, and everything goes, <laughs> goes dark on his dashboard, and he just kind of locks up and coasts off the uh, side of the track. I'm just happy he was able to get it going again and setting the table for a potential 
worst to first again at this circuit like he had last year, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we saw Sergio's biggest advantage as a driver come into play, and that's his ability to keep his tires in good shape, you know? Like that that guy has been good at that his entire F1 career, and I think it's going to help him out in spades this season. True. The starting lights, uh, beeps were back. I don't know if that's actually coming on the track, Ryan, or is Formula One sweetening the broadcast with that, or do you do we know yet for sure? Because it's I don't hit or miss. I don't recall hearing anything when I was at the race in uh, Montreal in 2019. I I don't think there was noise at the track itself of the lights beeping. I think that's added. Well, I appreciate that it was back on the broadcast for this one. Yeah, same. So, uh, quick note about Martin Brundle. I'm always impressed with how well he knows the regulations and how he can cite regulations on the fly uh, during the broadcast because when Perez went out and they had to do another you know, lap, uh, another installation lap before the race started because of Perez's uh, power going down, right away Brundle is citing all these regulations and how that's going to take a, a lap off the, you know, the total race uh, lap count and all that stuff. Aren't you, are, do you feel the same way? I'm always impressed by Brundle's knowledge. Yeah, I mean, that's where <laughs> that's where we and most fans, I think, get their sort of knowledge of the regulations because he's, he's on top of all that stuff and always quick to point out what the rules might be or how they're interpreted. I mean, this, this race was a, a lot of diving into the rules and regulations, right? The whole buzzword is now track limits again. And oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he was getting deep into that too. Yeah, but I mean, he does a good job of not boring you with it. He speaks plainly, and he, you know, in this case, he was basically just saying, like, look, these cars are topped off on fuel. Um, if they lose another lap, you know, installation lap, they have to shorten the race by a lap because they'll run out of fuel if you do the full distance. So I appreciate I appreciate that about Brundle. He's very good at keeping things plain. Yes. So then at the start, right? Do you want to get through to the start? Are we starting the race? Yeah. So. At the start, lights are on. Uh, before they go out, do you notice how 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 Max and Lewis like literally had their chassis pointed directly at each other? Yeah, they were almost touching <laughs> the ends of their wings. They were both so angled in. Yeah, I mean, you normally see one of those first two cars really angled. It's typically the guy in P two, um, depending on if he's on the inside line or the outside line. You always see the, the guy in P two trying to take an aggressive angle towards the guy on pole position. But in this case, it was Hamilton pointed towards Max to try and cover him off if he gets a better start, and it was Max basically positioning his car, saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going I'm taking the better line no matter what." Max did a good job covering him up at the start. Yeah, so interesting start. Uh, you're right. Max had a great start. I think that's the biggest worry for him. He hasn't had the best starts. You know, last season especially, he had that awful start in. Austria and then he ended up winning the race but uh that's something he's gonna have to dial in because you know he has two Mercedes and he's going to have two Mercedes breathing down his neck on probably every start this season true and of course Botas dropped back behind Leclerc at the start oh yeah I mean <laughs> it's Botas is gonna Botas dude and by the way that you saw the banter after the race when Valtteri was saying that why wasn't he on a different strategy? It didn't go long and all these things. And Toto shot back and basically said his whole race was compromised when he let Leclerc get past him and they couldn't get around him. Like that jacked up 
his whole strategy of we're going to mix things up and undercut, overcut with the two drivers. So putting it back on Valtteri, like, yeah, Valtteri, you also have, have to do some stuff. It's not just our botched pit stop and us not giving you a different strategy. You got passed by Leclerc at the start. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just it's just always bad news bears for Valtteri. Even if he does everything perfectly, I feel like... Bad news Botas. Yeah, exactly. Bad news Botas. I just feel like Mercedes is always going to find a way to marginalize him. He could tell himself he's not the number two, but he's clearly the number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Raga, the other thing, you, you've thrown this out there, and obviously the, the nickname couldn't be more apt than Nikita Mazaspin. Yes, I mean, you even had uh, Crofty calling him Nikita Mazaspin in qualifying, I believe. So, you know, the fourth wall has been broken. It's no longer just a meme on the internet. Crofty brought it to the fucking broadcast. Yeah, I think it's it's obvious. I think we're all over in our you know team previews. Haas is by far the new backmarker. Williams is clearly moving in the right direction, and Haas is not moving at all, right? Haas is a dumpster fire, just a dumpster fire. But that back end just seems like a monster to deal with. Like that's You saw Mick Schumacher had the same <laughs> kind of thing, but was able to save it and stay out of the wall. Yeah, I mean, if that car's truly that bad, I, I think we've, we haven't even scratched the surface of seeing the worst from Mazepin yet, you know? Mazepin, yeah. I mean, look, he's... Through testing and the practice sessions and some of quality, he he was Nikita Mazaspin. But on lap one, he was Nikita put it in the bin. I mean, he just put that thing right <laughs> into the wall. Nikita Mazabin, is that the other one? Nikita Mazaspin and Mazabin. <laughs> Nikita in the bin. So uh, right away, Martin Brunel made a very good point uh, right after we saw Mazapin go off the, uh, off the track. Here he is. We do not like passes going into the barriers coming out of that corner. So he's absolutely right. We don't like seeing Haas's go off the track and into the barriers in that corner. We saw, Obviously, he's alluded to Grosjean last season, but in this case, it wasn't as bad. It was Nikita in the bin, and his race was over. You know, somebody made a joke on Twitter. It's true, but um, Botas's long pit stop was longer than Nikita Mazepin's race, his first F1 race. Yeah, it's more like Nikita Mima, Mima spin or whatever, because it's all memes about he's done more formation laps than laps. And like, like you said, his the pit stop was longer than his actual race time. Yeah, things are not going to go well for him in F1. Um, it's already, you know, I don't want to say I'm at the point yet where I feel bad for the guy because it's going to take a lot for me to feel bad for Nikita Mazepin. But if this keeps up, you know, by race four or five, I will genuinely start feeling bad for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's limited sessions thus far. We just had testing in this first race weekend. But I think Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think he's handling him pretty well on the, the timesheet, right? I mean, he's he's not, they're not kind of right on each other's heels or swapping spots in the in the timing and scoring. No, Mick was, a, Mick is Nick like was almost a second, second better. He was almost a yeah. second quicker than him in qualies. So, and he was able to finish the race. Yes. Just just everything's gone horribly wrong for Nikita thus far. Um, and you have, to, you have to say he deserves it. <laughs> he deserves it. All right. So uh, yeah, that head-to-head will be very fun to watch all year because I think it will stay 
around this way. Nick just will be nursing that car home, and Nikita will probably try to drive aggressively and squeeze too much out of that, that lemon. Oh, I mean, just think about the first opportunity that Nikita gets to actually race someone wheel-to-wheel in a race. What do you expect is going to happen? It's going to get ugly. Yeah. We, we, we already called bullshit on him saying that aggressive style is behind him now that he's in Formula One. Oh, it, it, it's still aggressive. It's just with himself and the barrier. True. Yeah, so things might not be going you know, great for Aston Martin so far, but uh, at this point in the race, Lawrence Stroll is already getting his money's worth with the Aston Martin safety car. Yeah, it's getting... it. We saw that at the end of Drive to Survive. We've seen that in a lot of the pieces that they put together on Sky. Everything is turning into an Aston Martin commercial. Yeah, I mean... And they're, they're talking about how uh, Bernd Mylander, the driver of the safety car, how it's a lighter car, the Aston, so he can <laughs> go quicker through the corners. You know, oh, yeah. everything is... Them pumping up the Aston Martin. We're just and, all- oh, it's a James Bond. Yeah, exactly. We're just always we're always selling Lawrence Stroll's stuff on television. It seems always selling. And Sebastian Vettel named it after the first Bond girl. Yeah, yeah. how'd that work out for you, Vettel? <laughs> all right. So uh, the restart, very aggressive by both Max and Hamilton. Very aggressive. What'd you make of that? I mean, Max waited and waited and waited to punch it. He finally does. I thought Hamilton actually did a very good job of, of trying to time it as well. Um, and he did. You know, things got a little chippy down there in, in turn one. Yeah, that was Brundle forecasting it again, right? He's very, very good at forecasting what the people are going to do on those restarts because he was saying, I think he'll, he'll want to go as close to the line, restart line as he can, not to give Hamilton any kind of toe or set him up, you know. Yeah, um, still, I thought Hamilton did a great job of reading it. it. It's difficult when you're that guy right behind the, the, the guy in P1 on a restart. It's very difficult to guess what he's going to do and then also execute right when he does. And uh, I thought what Hamilton did was very impressive. Um, so, you know, we all know what happened in the, in the overall race, but I don't think there's enough being talked about um, how the way the beginning of the race played out helped Hamilton. Because if, if you don't have Mazepin in the barrier and several of these virtual safety cars and actual safety car periods, uh, Max was, wasn't able to sort of build a gap that he would have hoped. And I think, that, I think that played, you know, we could talk about track limits all the live long day, but I feel like this early portion of the race definitely helped Mercedes and Hamilton keep Max within touching distance. I mean, I think the biggest thing is the fact that Max again is having to take on two cars. Yes, because Mercedes can still play all these games with pit strategy and trying to force Red Bull's hand, and you know it's very difficult to react to two cars. Yeah, and so you know, speaking of the pit window opening up, you know, people start to pit. One of the things I notice is a lot of long pit stops. I don't know if it's you know rustiness in the pit crews or if there were issues with the wheel guns or something, but. We saw a lot of long stops right away. The one, one of the ones that stuck out was uh, Giovinazzi. He had like a 10-second stop. They had an issue with like the front left tire or something. It's got to be the heat and or the sand or something, right? Yeah, I mean, it was up and down the grid. We saw some problematic pit stops. Uh, I think Lando had a slightly long one as well earlier in the race. It was like four and a half seconds. Um, so just something I noticed. I have no idea why it was happening. Yeah, uh, 
how is that able to happen when a bunch of the teams now have the neon green lights that shoot down to show where the front tires should stop? <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that? I saw Ferrari had it. I think some other teams had it set up. That's something that teams have never stopped experimenting with. You know what I mean? Like all throughout, we've been watching F1 since twenty six or tw- uh, 2006. Sorry, 2006. And every season you see a team trying some new method for speeding up the pit stops and like acknowledging when the pit stop's done or marking where the driver should stop. It, there's been all kinds of weird gadgets invented for pit stops. For sure. Do you remember when Ferrari had that like robot that would hang down and it had the, the red lights and the green lights for the driver to see? Yeah, they're always trying to take one human out of the process or you know increase a reaction time by digitizing it like they did with the automatic light that would indicate when the, the driver should drive out of the pit box. And of course, it had an issue and made a mistake like in the first race. Yeah, it never goes well. It seems that, you know, the human element is the way to go with the pit stops. My other question, what is the lights over the intake on all the cars? It's purple for everybody? No, uh, in the pit lane, I believe in the pit lane, it goes to purple. Okay. And that just means that they're within the pit speed limit or something? I'm not quite sure the reasoning for it, but uh, don't hold me to this, obviously, but I believe that when they enter the pit lane, that light turns purple. I don't know why they're doing it, but I believe that's the case. Um, so one of the, one of the other interesting takeaways, Ryan, everyone's getting so much more secretive, obviously. And now you have Max Verstappen to try and give himself some sort of edge when he's taking on the two Mercedes at once. He's now sending basically, as they said on the broadcast, Morse code or text messages through his dash about tire status and things like that to the team. So he's not broadcasting to both Mercedes cars what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if that is what he's truly doing, it won't be long before they ban that. Or Mercedes finds a way to hack into it and starts intercepting the, uh, the, the messages. Yeah, before they start sending dirty messages back to Max. Yeah, they, they're already doing that on social media. Putting <laughs> just attacking Red Bull with a bunch of good bits. Oh yeah, oh dude, it's it's bit season in F one. There's there isn't a meme that F one doesn't like. Um, so some other some other takeaways, Ryan. If I can just throw some things in that happened sure. during the race, I love. I mean, I think this is what Alonso is in general. What he brings to any team, right? He's not going to sit back and react. He was basically the first one in the midfield to pit around lap twelve, and he created the chain effect, right? Like that's what. If you're a midfield team, you have to start bringing the fight to the other other squads, not just sit back and always be responding. Alonso is bringing that that edge back to to Formula One and to Alpine slash Renault, right? Yeah, and uh, thanks for reminding me. It's one one thing I had totally forgotten about Alonso um, is that you know I feel bad for his race engineer, and I feel bad for the team principal because Alonso is going to make all the decisions. Like he he's gonna he's basically gonna run that team. Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> that's what he did there. I'm pretty sure, right? He's the one who set off, off the chain reaction. Too bad though, uh, a sandwich wrapper, I guess, huh? Is what went in and jammed up his brake ducts and yeah, forced it, his retirement later in the race. That's funny you mentioned that. So uh, yes, his race was ruined by a sandwich wrapper. We, I would love to know, like if it, it's if it's a clear sandwich wrapper from someone's sack lunch. 
in the paddock, or is it like a McDonald's wrapper? You know. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely have uh, an impact on. It. Is it a, a Big Mac wrapper? Is pretty pretty large, right? <laughs> yes, it is. But that wrapper cost me money because I had ten bucks on Alonzo finishing ahead of Ocon, and that sandwich wrapper it it took it away from me, man. I can't believe it. Yeah, and we have our season-long Alonzo to outscore Ocon. It would have been nice to get out of the gates with a points finish for Alonzo, but now we have to wait for another race. Yeah, um, speaking of Alonzo and sort of where all the teams are, you know, as the race was progressing, I was starting to tell myself, you know, maybe Alpine does have a little bit of pace, you know, after seeing what we were watching Alonzo do, you know, wheel to wheel and some of these scraps. But sure enough, it's, it's just Alonzo extracting, you know, the most out of the car. Because I, I don't think that car will have much business finishing in the points every weekend. It'll be, you know, an odd race here or there. Yeah, we got some good on-track action, though, which Alonzo is going to bring. Obviously, we saw Vettel and Alonzo battling, then Sainz ends up joining the battle and passing his idol, right? Yeah, I got some good audio of that, actually. So this is what Brundle had to say when uh, you had that three-car scrap between, it, it was Alonzo, Sainz, and Vettel, right? Yes. Carlos Sainz just passed his hero, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> yeah, so Carlos Sainz passing his hero, very true. Uh, when, when Carlos was very young in F1 in his early days, Alonso was basically his mentor. So it's funny to see him at Ferrari now, and he's just walking all over <laughs> Alonso at Alpine. Yeah, that whole midfield is going to be fun to watch this season. I'm stoked. Yeah, that scrap was great, by the way. I mean, we haven't seen a three-car scrap like that too often in Formula One in the past couple of years, but uh, Vettel, Alonso, and Sainz, they were going at it. I mean, you, they even had Brundle calling at it. Here, here's what he had to say. This great racing. This is great racing. <laughs> I love that. That That's another great drop because he, <laughs> he rolls it like it's one word. This is great racing. This is great racing. I know. He, he's right. I was jumping up and down on the couch when that was going down. That was very exciting. So it's actually, at this point in the race, right around that three-car scrap is when you had Toto yelling over the radio, over Botas' race engineer even, to hunt down Max. What'd you make of that, Moot? Well, at the time, I think Perez was even in front of Botas from going long early, right? (laughs) I can't Uh, remember the exact order at that time. I believe so. I believe so. But we're seeing this more and more ever since... um, Botas had a private discussion with Toto after he was forced to get out of the way for Hamilton in Russia that one season. You know, Botas has said, you know, I talk with Toto and we work things out. So ever since that conversation, we've seen this like cheerleading over the radio by Toto for Valtteri. And all you, all you have on three. Yeah, we've seen we've seen a bit of that more and more now, and and this this seems like it's more of that. Um, what do you make of it? Like, does Toto mean it, or does he is he just doing this to keep, you know, Valtteri motivated slash not depressed slash, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I think he means it, but he's trying to also put the pressure on Valtteri to be like, give us something because Valtteri can't just keep complaining after the race that he's getting unfairly treated by the team and the mechanics and Toto when you know I think he's making these mistakes letting Leclerc by and and not being able to hunt down slower cars in front of him you know I think Toto's this is a combination of motivation and frustration I think from Toto 
I would agree with some of that. I think it's more the Constructors' Championship. I think Toto, I think we're going to hear a lot of this this season with Toto trying to pump up Valtteri because I, I think Toto is hyper-aware of the fact that they could lose the Constructors' Championship this year. Another thing back to the pit stops that you were mentioning earlier. Botas obviously had that slow pit, almost 11 seconds. You were talking about up and down the grid. Some teams were having issues. And Red Bull, though, back on it, sub two second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they're one of the best. So they didn't. Sure. I mean, they took home the award last year. I think they had four or more pit stops that were the same, you know, one, what was it, 1.8 or 1.6 or something? Something crazy like that. So they didn't, they didn't actually play that, that audio of uh, Toto, you know, saying, go hunt him down, Valtteri. But, you know. Yeah, because like you mentioned, he just jumped in and it was, they were talking over each other. He interrupted the, you know, the strategist for Valtteri Bottas. But they did the bit where they do the text messages <laughs> on the pro- broadcast right because i saw just the text saying hunt hunt him down Valtteri. right but this is purple sector of course and we leave no stone unturned we, we dig it up yes yeah. so i dug it up here's the audio right here so the stop it down 3.8 ahead so you could you could barely make it out but in the middle of all that all that mumbling is uh toto going hunt him down Valtteri. hunt him down it's so fun to see how we saw a lot of it in drive to survive right how involved toto is on the radio and during races and how talk about another emotional guy right he kind of bottles it up lets it turn into mount vesuvius inside him but all the shots that were showing him during the race you could see him just stressing about everything that was going on at the front yeah 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 toto toto is not a hands-off kind of guy he is very if that's one thing we've learned through drive to survive he gets his fingers on everything like he 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 is he's a micromanager has to be said he is a micromanager oh for sure i mean that's his baby you know i know but he but he's we've even heard him say he doesn't like to micromanage so it sounds like it's almost a demon of his you know like he can't help himself it's it's he's always in this struggle of trying to let people do their jobs can we can we shift and do some quick livery talk now that we've seen a full race weekend with all the new liveries come on this is purple sector we you are always allowed to talk liveries so we also need some sort of livery bumper. We need the Helmut on, on helmets bumper. We might need to get the uh, listeners to put together some, leave us some voicemails at our number and give us some audio to try and create some bumpers because we'd love to get them involved in the creative side of the show, right? Right. But on the liveries, so all the red, the additional red we have now in the Mercedes and the, the red numbers with no filling that they've claimed they're going to be addressing but haven't yet um Mm -hmm. on the a lot of the onboards like the camera that looks back on the fin to the car behind somebody a lot of the video i've seen of first stop and trying to hunt hunt down lewis hamilton i i I thought it was a ferrari because (laughs) there's so much red on that fin when that rear rear facing camera picks it up yeah i mean i've been outspoken um Many times that I don't like Mercedes's livery this season. In fact, yeah, I, I can't it's stand a hot it. Mess. I mean, those are some of the most clashing colors. That you know that uh, what is it? The Patronus blue green, the red Ineos, and that whole fade 
of black to silver to gray that they've got going on and all the white AMGs. It's just, it's, yeah, it's and a then, nightmare. And there. then they have just the stroked numbers, which no one can, no one can tell. Like there's a lot of people complaining on Twitter every day that they cannot tell Lewis's and Valtteri's cars apart in the race because the numbers are like indecipherable. And then you have the clashing hill figure, red, white, and blue that they put around the collars and the wrists of all the jackets and the gear, you know? Yeah, it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess of a car this season. I don't know how they let it get so out of control because every year the Mercedes is like just stunning and gorgeous, but this season it's a fucking eyesore. Yeah, it's gross. But, I mean, (laughs) more and more that Alpine just looks great. The Alpine's phenomenal. I think it's the best livery on the grid. Um I, I picked the Williams. I'm still standing by the Williams. I like the the gold accents, the touch of those. I love the tiger shark uh, pattern on the back fin. I mean, I think the Williams pops too. I mean, Williams and Alpine are definitely, I think we nailed it with both of our picks for the top liveries heading into the season. Alpine, still number one for me. Um, one that's quickly shooting up the charts that I already mentioned earlier in this episode is Alpha Tori. Now that they have put the white wheels on there, seeing that thing go wheel to wheel in the race, with that very good livery, but now the white wheels. I mean, I just love it. I love that car. And Yuki drives it. (laughs) When I'm back in studio, we'll have to do helmet on helmets because there have been some great uh, compilations people have put out of all the driver's helmets. And then obviously the segment will pick up on any of the one-off helmets race by race and we'll dive in all that stuff because that's where our bread is buttered, right? Yes, absolutely. We are helmet snobs. <laughs> we are we are livery snobs. You name it. So uh, we need people to call in nine zero four eight purple and leave a voicemail with you know their best announcer voice saying Helmut on helmets or something like that, so we can put together some bumpers. Yeah, I'm sure someone out there is willing to do it. Do it. So this is uh, in my notes here. I'm around lap twenty nine. Um, the Mercedes. Both cars seem to be harsh on their tires in this race. Um, they, you know, they were seemingly pitting earlier than they were expecting to have to. Um, we'll see if yeah, that's. Yeah, and it. everybody was expecting for Stoppen to fight back against the undercuts from Mercedes, but he just stayed out because I think they're like, "Why are we going to come in if we can still run on these tires?" Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they learned their pres- their um, their lesson this weekend that track position still king, and uh, you know, even if you think your car is fast as fuck. You do not want to have to try and pass Hamilton. He's going to make life hell for you. And every lap that you can't get around him, you know, being right behind him, that the heat from his car is just erodes your tires. Yeah, the turbulent air. Yeah. The turbulent air and, and, I agreed, and the hot air. I agreed with Brundle, too, later in the race when even the Amazon analytics was saying that Max would catch up in about six laps, that he was shocked that Red Bull wasn't getting on the radio saying, hey, Max, get on with it. You better get on his ass because you never know what can happen near the end of the race. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's a thankless job. I mean, Hamilton, throughout history in F1, is one of the hardest guys to overtake. He's always going to have you on the outside of his car, and he's always going to understeer you off the track. And we saw it again. I mean, how many times have we seen Hamilton do that to people? They still don't learn. Um, and how, how perfect we talk about how you can't even write the script of what happens in real life in formula one that all race the mercedes are using the exit at turn four and going off outside the track limits to try and gain a speed advantage and of course when max tries to make his pass and gets around but goes off track it's at the exit of turn four that mercedes have been using 
an all race and then he has to give up the position right right i mean that's people that who are trying to make the argument that you know max should have been allowed to keep the position that's there's no grounds for that you can't overtake off track you are never able to overtake off track it's not even worth wasting your breath on that in my opinion Oh, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory. I'm just right. saying that's no, no. perfect soap opera, you know? No, I, you, what you're saying is that Mercedes always finds a way to maximize opportunities, and that's exactly what they did here. The, right. the stewards were way too nebulous, in my opinion, about track limits. I think they, they're going to you know, change their tone drastically after this race. Um, they didn't do themselves any favors by leaving it that open-ended. So, yeah, you saw Hamilton go wide there, 29 laps, okay? presumably to his advantage because it's quicker. So he was one of the guys... Yes, they're who, doing it. There's an advantage. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the rule of thumb in Formula One, right? When they say, interesting that they're going off track there, I wouldn't want to do that with the curb and the potential dust and sand and all those other things. Well, they're doing it because I'm sure there's an advantage they've found. Yeah, and I appreciate that about Mercedes and Hamilton specifically. You know, he's like, all right, if you're going to give me, you know, that inch, I'm going to take a fucking mile. And he did. Of course. I don't know why. On the, I'm yeah, just, I want to focus on the battle between Hamilton and Max. I was shocked, first off, that Hamilton made a mistake, right? He locks up on lap 51, right. goes off track. Clearly, you know, he's you're picking up all sorts of debris and sand and, and crap. And Verstappen wasn't able to get him there when those tires were had just been locked up and we're picking up a bunch of bullshit off the track that that was shocking to me that first stop and didn't just eat him up right there well i mean that was the window yeah but that particular stretch where where hamilton locked up that's straight there's obviously drs there but it, it's still it's a useless drs because nobody overtakes there no one overtakes there yeah they kept mentioning there was probably one spot to pass and maybe another but obviously max didn't make it stick in turn four Right, and you, and you just saw Hamilton play it perfectly. He, he frustrated Max long enough that his tires lost enough life, and then uh, you know Hamilton was presumably you know using his, uh, his uh, ERS or whatever the fuck it's called. He kept that bad boy charged, and he was using it down the straights to keep Max off of him. Um, so you know, just a master class in defending by Hamilton, in my opinion. The other funny, funny stat, because of the fact that Bahrain is the first race this year, and and tends to be later in the calendar is that Hamilton's last win was at Bahrain last year. So <laughs> it makes it seem like he hadn't won in a year, but in reality, it's only a couple of races. Right, exactly. So let's get back to Botas here. Um, you know, he had a bad pit stop, not his fault, obviously, but lap 31, he had like a 10 second pit stop. And, you know, we usually give Botas a hard time on this podcast because, first of all, it's easy to. Second of all, I think he brings it on himself a lot of the time. But, I have to say, Botas did a good job in this Grand Prix, you know, when it's all said and done, because he was within, what, like 10, 12, 14 seconds of the of the leaders, despite that long pit stop, right? Yeah, they basically tacked eight, nine seconds onto his, his gap with that bad pit stop. Right, so all things considered, you know, if anything happens with Max and Hamilton, if they come together and both spin off the track or there's some kind of damage, Botas was still in a position right behind them to have won the race if anything happened. And I think he deserves a little bit of credit for that. And he had enough of a gap still to fourth place that he was able to strap on fresh rubber and snag the purple point at the end. Exactly. So he, he basically did everything that his team, besides getting second place, 
He did everything that is asked of him by his team. I think he deserves a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, he was still on the podium and got that purple point, baby. Yeah, so can we pivot real quick to uh, our boy Yuki Sonoda? I mean, he is the darling of the F1 world right now. Yeah, he was making some some great maneuvers, making his way up the field near the end of the race. I mean, we saw him scrapping it up with several world champions. Um, you know, he, he, had, he had a nice little move on Alonzo. He had a great quote after the race when asked about, you know, what was he thinking when he, before he made that maneuver, you know, got hard on the brakes, took Alonzo on the inside. He, he basically said, look, Alonzo's a two-time world champion. I just trusted that he knew what he was doing. I mean, this is his first Formula One race, and he was making passes on world champions look easy. Yes, he's fun to watch. I hope he can, you know, find some improvements quickly in qualifying and get into Q3. I want to see him in the mix. I want to see him on a podium, especially on the top step, because he'll be the shortest guy even on the top step. That would be something. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that that trophy. If he had, if he had won this race, I think the trophy at the Bahrain Grand Prix is as tall as him. Yeah, I mean, he could sit in the cup of the trophy. <laughs> yeah, he'll be bathing in any trophy he wins. He could even slip into the Heineken star tube. Yeah, and by the way, it won't be long before Yuki gets very tired of everyone calling him small because just up and down the grid and every journalist, all the rhetoric surrounding him is is that he's young, like, yes, he's young, but he looks even younger. So everyone's calling him like a baby. People are calling him baby Sonoda. And uh, <laughs> Helmut Marco <laughs> is calling him smart and small. I mean, what? he's going to get so tired of this. Yeah, and we were, we're still waiting for grid kids to be back on there because I'm, I want them to, they're going to have to find the shortest grid kid to put next in. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I wouldn't rule it out. So what other notes do you have? I'm up to around lap 40. Yeah, I mean Vettel. Vettel oh no God! Con, obviously, yeah. let's talk about Vettel. Forty-five. Let's talk about Vettel, okay? If you're Lawrence Stroll, let's just assume they're paying Vettel a lot of money. I don't think we know publicly yet what kind of contract Vettel's on, but let's just assume it's a nice fat contract. If you're Lawrence Stroll, after this race, what are you thinking about Vettel? What's going through your head? I mean, he he qualified 18th, is that right? And then started at the back because of a penalty for ignoring yellow flags yes so right away rough start for Vettel doesn't get out of Q1 and gets a penalty like you just mentioned um so you know if I'm Lawrence I'm thinking eh, not a great start hopefully he can turn it around in the race then then come the race yeah, long season so you're saying yeah he, I'd like to see Vettel put it together a little bit more I mean he better start you know jumping Lance Stroll on race weekends so you're saying that uh, Lawrence at this point in time is still forgiving of what he saw? Yeah, I think he's still holding out hope that he's not getting the Vettel we've seen in recent years at Ferrari where he can't help but come together with people and spin and, you know, <laughs> get penalties and qualify poorly. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to defend Vettel at this point um, simply because, you know, what, what happened with him and Ocon heading into turn one was was just so fucking unnecessary i've never seen a a more unnecessary maneuver than that yeah it's been a long time since we've seen four-time champion vettel you know ever since that fight for five season we haven't uh seen a good vettel 
Yeah, speaking of Lawrence, um, you know, it's really a win-win for him because if Vettel's going to keep this up, it just means that we're going to see more of his Aston Martin safety car. So, you know, Lawrence is just printing money no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, maybe there's some some bonus clauses in his contract that if he brings up, up Aston Martin safety cars, he gets a little a little extra cash in his pocket. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could see Lawrence saying, look, Vettel, if, if you're not going to be able to get into the points, at least take somebody out and get the Aston Martin safety car out there. <laughs> He's a company man. Exactly. We'll see, though. I mean, I've there's been a lot of negative talk by journalists and ex-racers in the paddock after this race about Vettel. Like, people are now publicly saying that he's lost it and he no longer has it. You know, that's those are incendiary remarks for a guy like Vettel, who's a four-time champ, who's basically the same age as Hamilton. Yeah, I'd like to see a return to form from Seb. It can only make the midfield more fun, you know? Agreed. But I, I think it's going to take more than we initially thought. Agreed. I'm ready to head to the podium if you are, because there was there was some good good action on the podium. Yeah, let's do it. Give me your podium notes. So first off, we've talked already about the massive Bahraini trophies, and Hamilton even faked the trophy toss. He didn't even go for the the, the light toss of the big Bahraini trophy. I mean, that thing must be pretty heavy. Yeah, it, it was funny though watching him fake like using a toss it and then shake his head you know yeah and then uh you also i i know that you were a little a little pissed off about a lack of uh you know a champagne spray slash rose water celebration yeah nobody sprayed even tried to spray the rose water i think it's because they just know it's so bad like it's under pressurized it just doesn't it's not the same as your traditional champagne celebration yeah, it's like when you turn off your hose and there's a little bit of water left and it just trickles out. That's the best you can get from the rose water. Yeah, agreed. So in in which case it's not worth it. I could see why they didn't do it. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking forward to the races outside the the Gulf because we're going to get to see that new Italian sparkling sparkling wine uh sponsor in full full effect. Yeah, the the champagne of the people as we were saying before. Yes. <laughs> we just need to find some in the store so we can do our own at our hashtag formula brunch. Yeah, exactly. There will be, I'm anticipating some videos from some listeners on Sundays of them finding a bottle of that cheaper champagne now and uh, spraying it all over their backyard or maybe even in their apartments and houses. Yeah, go go wild with it. Yeah, so what were, what were some of your, your overall takeaways from this first race? I know mine, my biggest ones are, I still think the entire landscape of the grid is still very blurry like i don't really know where mercedes falls versus red bull red bull probably faster over a one lap pace but i still think mercedes has an edge on strategy um and i think they're just gonna be tougher to deal with in a race than red bull's expecting well my my hopes and takeaways are that checo can start putting it together and get up there in the first two rows because that'll only make those races more and more exciting when both teams have the opportunity to start playing undercut games agreed um what about the midfield i I still think that that's a total scrap you know i don't really know what ferrari's true pace is mclaren looks good but uh ricardo had some issues he had some floor damage it's tough to say who's the best of the rest at this point 
Well, it's, it's only one race, so that's all we can look into. But McLaren, the fact that they were able to keep both their cars up there, maybe the you know Andreas Seidel is working his magic. But if they stay reliable, they should run away with the midfield. Uh, see, I'm, I'm not willing to say that yet. You're willing to say that. I still don't know. I think Ferrari looked better than I was anticipating. I know I think that they could be third or fourth in the constructors, but they were better than I was anticipating from the get-go. I'll say that. Well, the question, too, is, is Alpha Tauri, if they have the speed or if Gasly is just this quick and Sonoda starts figuring things out, I mean, that could be a team to be reckoned with if they don't get cannibalized by the Red Bull squad because already in this race you had Pierre Gasly having to give up, I think, gearboxes or some sort of uh, components of his car to Checo Perez. Yes, that's that's right. They did some kind of swap, an, an inter-team swap. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, we don't know much about them. We know Yuki looked solid, but he was obviously further down the grid, and then Gasly just had a horrible race today, so they're very much a big question mark as well. Um, basically, what I'm getting yeah, at... I mean, also, like you said, Ferrari being impressive, impressing probably beyond what we expected in the first race, that trickles down because Alfa Romeo also was impressive as... The, the last of the back markers last season. And now if that power unit is sort of improved this year, then Alpha is going to be jumping into that midfield mix too. Right. Alpha Romeo, not Alpha Joe Torre. <laughs> exactly. Um, basically, what I'm trying to say is that I think the midfield is going to be an, an amazing scrap this year. And I've n- I haven't been more excited for an F1 season than this one in a long time. Yeah, it's great to be racing again. Great to have the Schumacher name back in there, and he obviously put together for for a team that is such a mess. You know, he was able to bring the car home, which we couldn't say a lot of races for the old Haas and their drivers. So, I'm I'm excited to watch Mick all year. I'm excited to watch this thick midfield battle, the midfield mayhem that's going to be going on, and uh, hopefully getting Checo higher up the order so we can see a true team versus team battle at the front with a Red Bull that clearly has pace over one lap yeah i mean we'll see in about three weeks but i i imagine red bull won't be so quick to try and get you know perez into q3 on mediums again i think they just gotta they gotta start going for it you can't leave points on the table this early in the season because mercedes will make you pay for it yeah that's the only bittersweet thing here early because of all this movement at the beginning of the calendar we actually have like a summer break between the first and second races yeah yeah, I know. We do have some time to kill in between, which, uh, you know, we will with several episodes. But, um, yeah. But that only means with 23 races, it's going to be hot and heavy after we start racing again in a few weeks. That's the way we love it, though, hot and heavy. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think my, my biggest takeaway, and this will be my final note after this race, is Hamilton showed again, you know, why he is arguably the greatest of all time. And now that Red Bull is getting closer and closer to them. Um, a, a famous quote from the great HBO show, The Wire, came to my head right away after that race finished. And it's from Omar, where he says, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And Max, he missed. You come at the king, you best not miss. He did. I mean, <laughs> Lewis is the king. Sir Lewis Hamilton, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's still more, more the same, right? Hamilton finds a way to to squeak it out when everyone thinks he's slightly on the back foot to Max for stopping in the Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, he's just, Lewis is too good, and he's been around too long 
to just let Max come up from behind like that and just punk him. He was like, look, man, I'm going to make your life hell over the next five laps. I'm just hoping we can get Checo up there because that will only mean that the constructor and the driver's championship could come down to the wire, which is what we all want. We don't want, you know, four or five races at the end of the year where all the hardware is locked up. Well, I mean, if that's what you're looking for, this race was definitely encouraging because despite all the things that could have gone wrong for Checo, he still finished fifth place from dead fucking last starting in the pit lane. And we want Checo up there because pressure on Botas, we all, we all know what we expect will happen if Botas is under pressure from two Red Bulls. Right. We just want a fist fight. I don't really care who wins at this point. I just want an epic fist fight at the front of the grid every weekend. Well, like you said, this race was hinting that that's what we can look forward to. So very excited for the 2021 Formula One season. Absolutely. So this was a great start to the season. I think we'll end it there. We'll pick this up later. But, um, Moot, it's going to be an amazing season. Yuki Sonoda, Gasly's going to get it. the ship righted. Uh, McLaren looks very quick. A lot going on. A ton going on. This midfield, man, you know, <laughs> just throw me in that midfield and let me roll around in the slop. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible stuff. So um, tune in later this week. We'll have another episode for you. Um, we'll talk more about fantasy. We're not going to get into that today, but uh, it's tough sliding in fantasy. Moot. Where are you in the standings? I'm, I'm in 37th place. Yeah, the thing is, it's such a huge field in our fantasy league, which is awesome. And a lot of ties right now. So we need to get some more races in to break these ties and see where things shake out. Because right now with all the ties, you can go from you're, you're one point away from 14th and you're in 38th or something, you know? Yeah. Plus we had a lot of guys, you know, burn their mega drive in the first race. So, uh, you know, things are going to get interesting. Oh yeah. Make sure everyone stays on top of it and you can still join up. I mean, with the mega driver and all these different, uh, rules going forward in fantasy this season. There's always a chance to climb the ladder, even if you missed out on Bahrain. So you have three weeks now to get in, and you've only missed one race. Exactly. Get in, set your lineup, and buckle up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm stoked to uh, get back in studio uh, in the very near future so we can start hitting all these because we have fantasy, we have Helmut on helmets, we have... Extreme E starts this weekend. Stuff. Extreme E, exactly. And we have to start getting our formula brunch is rolling hashtag formula brunch i had a little formula brunch i had a couple of sahis for uh I saw you, you, you did a driver specific not a uh, venue specific which is also very much uh accepted here on purple sector you know if you want to support a specific driver in your formula brunch you don't have to stick to the local race cuisine true i mean i went i went japanese with a nice nice <laughs> ice cold six pack of asahi super dry Super dry, baby. <laughs> yeah, so that'll do it for this race recap. Uh, amazing start to the season. Appreciate all of you tuning in to Purple Sector as always. And we'll have more for you later. Thanks for tuning in. See you on the track. <laughs>